we're definitely seeing a much much more um, interest and um, discussion around financial well-being in workplaces. And I think you know, as an if you're an HR leader or people leader of a large frontline workforce, your biggest single issue probably of this decade is how does your staff going to cope with the cost of living crisis? This weekend was a holiday weekend here in the United Kingdom. So we've only got one guest for you this week, but it's a guest with global appeal. As the cost of living gets more expensive for all of us, we are talking to WageStream. WageStream are a tech solution here to help low income earners. And we are talking to their CEO and co-founder, Pete Briffitt, who was himself a guest on this show over three years ago. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group. Before we get into any tech-related conversation, let's start off with a bit of uh, inclusion and diversity. Amber, at the risk of making myself look stupid, you're a Watford fan, right? Oh, God. Yeah, I am. Yeah, And I'm not very proud of it at the moment, to be honest, but yeah, I am. Don't worry, we're not going to talk about Watford directly. Um, Okay. But there were about, I think there were just under 22,000 people at Vicarage Road on the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Newcastle United women played at St James's Park for the first time ever on Sunday, right? Guess how many people okay. turned up to watch Newcastle United women? I'm going to say like, oh, I was going to say like half of that amount. 22,000, over 22,000. Oh, really? Yeah, I think this is staggering, Ooh. right? And I think this is worth wow. kind of Wow, okay. I thought you were going to say it was like a really, really low number. No. Like I was expecting no. like really terrible so the fourth tier of women's football, right? It was Newcastle versus Annick. It wasn't like it was Man United or Chelsea or whatnot. The fourth tier of women's football, and it was the largest crowd for a domestic women's game this season in any level. Yeah, I was not expecting you to say that at all. I don't know where the conversation was going. I was thinking, oh, are they just going to have like really... I was, I was feeling quite sad for them. I thought it was going to have like a really poor turnout. No. More That's more amazing. people more people turned out to watch a fourth tier women's game than turned out to watch Watford Burnley. Admittedly, St James's Park has a capacity of fifty two thousand, but I think they were they were kind of expecting about five thousand people to turn up, and they had to delay kickoff by fifteen minutes because of the demand to come through oh, the turnstiles to watch the match. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, to be fair, I didn't expect many people to be going to watch Watford at the moment, so <laughs> that, yeah, doesn't surprise me too much, to be completely honest no, with the way things are going. But I mean, I'm glad that they're getting sort of big numbers. I mean, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I, I think it's worth mentioning because, you know, this podcast, we've tried to be a long-term ally, supporter of kind of inclusion and equality across the board. Okay, it's not technology, but if, if you're a long-time listener, you'll know that I'm from Newcastle. I'm partisan Geordie and uh, the fact that over 22,000 people turned out to watch a non kind of uh, sorry an amateur so semi-pro football match for the first time ever that they put it on at St James's Park and that many people turned out to watch it is is a bit of good news from the weekend that's worth spreading and sharing. I'm all for people going to watch more women's football because they're, they're you know what they're like hard as nails they actually show mm. the guys a thing or two and the guys are like rolling around on the floor, they just get up and just get on with it. I love it. Well, there we go. And look, there is some relevance to today's interview because today's interview is all about the cost of living crisis and everything getting more expensive. Well, football is notoriously expensive to watch. Uh, and and the tickets for the women, in fairness, they were cheap, but still people, people had to turn up. £3 
on the door to get in. Uh, and I think under 16s were free. No way. Three pounds? Three pounds for an adult, free, oh. free if you were a minor. Oh, my God, that's ridiculous. Which is great. I mean, that's great because it allows, yeah. I mean, no wonder they had such big crowds and stuff. That's the thing. It's like football is so expensive that it makes it such a niche, you know, small pool of people that can actually go and watch it. Whereas if it's like that, as you've said, it's so inclusive and it's taken the game back to what it should be. Like people just going to enjoy it for what it is rather than it being like an elite sport for only a really sort of set group of people to go and watch. And if you want, if you want to attract more attention to inclusion and to, to to get more women, sorry, more people to participate in women's sports, make it easy. Remove the barriers. And if you're a Premier League football club and you want people to go and enjoy the women's game, you don't need to charge lots of money for the tickets. It's not, it's not revenue that you're missing yeah. out on. So you know, when at this particular time where people are having to spend lots of money on household bills that are getting increasingly expensive and inflation is up, why put extra barriers there? Anyway, so I thought I'd share that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today's interview is with Pete Briffitt. He's the CEO and co-founder of WageStream, a tech solution that are trying to tackle the cost of living crisis. We'll hand over to the interview. So I'm chatting to Peter Briffitt, uh, CEO, founder of WageStream. How are you this morning? Very good, David. Very good. A lot older since we last spoke. It's I don't know about a lot. Streams aged me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Right. Not not actual time. Well, no, exactly. Just in, yeah. You in were on the years. show, what, three years ago, maybe? Three, it was. It was a long time ago. It seems like a long time ago. It was, it was anything pre-pandemic seems a very, very long time ago. Um, so, yes, it was. And at the same time, not, because the pandemic now, in my mind, is kind of condensed into this incredibly short period of time. Yeah. in a strange way like yeah, the two, exactly. kind of go two years oh that was two years no. <laughs> no something happened something happened yeah yeah exactly exactly very strange uh well look for anyone who hasn't had the benefit of, of reading about wage stream or listening to that previous episode because we have picked up li- listeners since then what do you what do you do yeah, so the, the whole premise of WageStream is to improve the lives of frontline workers. Um, and we do that by partnering with sort of employers and providing a set of financial services built around pay that are distributed to those frontline workers as employee benefits. So, you know, think like an app that allows someone for the first time to track all their wage, uh, their earnings, understand all their earnings in real time, access their earnings throughout a pay cycle to prevent them going into debt, um, unlock great savings products, have financial coaching, so a whole set of financial services, really, that are distributed by the employer, because we believe that's a much fairer world for a lot of um, frontline workers who historically just don't get good treatment by banks. Right. They're seen as a risk. They're seen mm. as volatile pay and therefore they're charged more for you know, financial services than oligarchs, which is a horrible you know, dichotomy and the one we're trying to solve for. And when we first talked, I think you were you're in the process of signing up your first few customers. You'd kind of had trials and 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 short um, launches with the likes of Durham Cricket Club. And... <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Durham Cricket. Club. This is this is a long time ago. Yeah, we um, you know, obviously as good entrepreneurs when we started, we just thought waged the concept of being able to allow any worker to access their earned money to prevent them going to debt. We just thought that was such a great concept that there'd be a whole line. Of C- like the, the world's best CEOs would be outside our door waiting to sign up for Wastering with pens. When can I sign up? The CEO of Tesco's and she or he would be there waiting to sign up. So um, when we were thinking, do we need to reinforce the doors of the building for all these inbound um, interest? 
unfortunately, no, there was no queue outside Waystream and we had to go and fight for a lot of this initial business. Um, but one of our early clients was Durham Cricket Club and actually is still one of our clients. But one of the issues there was a lot of the ground staff of a very old senior citizen. So they don't even have phones. So that was an early early issue for us considering all our financial products are actually provided by a mobile device but anyway one of those things you have to overcome but no it's great we've got uh we fought we fought and we've you know we've now got some really leading uk employers like booper like co-op like green king like halvers like travis perkins like next all saying you know this is the best thing they've ever done for their staff it's a fantastic benefit so yeah but it's taken it's taken time from the days of durham cricket club but we're still very grateful for their for their business Absolutely. Look, as someone who who is from the northeast of England and regularly went to watch Durham Cricket Club as a youngster, I'm glad you're still grateful for their business. No, yeah, exactly, <laughs> the, re- exactly. the, re- the reason I thought I'd catch up with you as well is uh, you, you've received some really positive press recently. Um, just gone through a, a, a big raise. I saw that yourself and your your co-founder Portman, the CTO, were talking about the fact that you know you've raised 175 million dollars. You've passed a, a million users and. You mentioned there are a number of customers, but you're also focusing on the US markets. The last few years, despite the pandemic, I mean, I suppose, has the pandemic in a way been good for WageStream or was it difficult? I mean, I suppose there's there's a migration towards people adopting um, digital technology right across the demographic, which must have been a positive. And frontline workers and gig workers were, were on the front line. So I suppose there was always that demand there. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, obviously, the, you know, our, the early adopter market for what we do, certainly for earned wage access products, um, is hospitality. So they obviously had an awful time during pandemic. But because of the government, because of the, the way Waystream works is we'll go and, you know, we'll go and contract with a business like Pizza Express, we'll access their workforce management system. So we understand in real time how much people are getting paid. And then we also access their payroll systems. And then, you know, if people take some of their wages, we can deduct it automatically as they next get paid. Um, The point being, had um, the UK government not done furlough, I think we would have been uh, an issue because we could still release furlough money to all the furloughed hospitality workers, which was like 90% of the hospitality workforce. Had the UK government done what the US government did, which was, you know, do sort of helicopter money into households um, and not go through the employer, I think that would have would have been would have been quite hard for us considering you know in when was it march 2020 you know 80 percent of our client base was really made up of hospitality um but we've since gone on now and you know we're moving into retail we've got about 45 nhs trust now using wage stream so we sort of diversified that way um but i think the consequences of the pandemic which we're seeing now the cost of living you know, sort of almost not, I wouldn't, I would say, I wouldn't say hyperinflation, but very, very high inflation is causing a lot of financial angst um, to most of, most, most of the population, right? But it's felt most mm-hmm. keenly for lower income workers because the proportion of their paycheck that's now being spent on things that cost them half, you know, half that amount a year ago takes a much larger portion of their paycheck. So um, we're definitely seeing a much, much more um, interest and um, discussion around financial well-being in workplaces and I think you know as an if you're an HR leader or people leader of a large frontline workforce your biggest single issue probably of this decade is how does your staff going to cope with the cost of living crisis in a world where it's hard to you know put wages up which is the obvious way of trying to help the situation yeah I mean I was going to jump in and ask like how does how does managing cash flow help 
when things are just getting more expensive because it's, it's you don't enable people to earn more you just enable them to access it at different times we don't enable people to earn more but one of the, the one of the things that's really powerful about wagestream is the ability to understand in real time all your earnings so for the first time you know most frontline workers are you know understanding their rotor or their shift pattern by taking pictures of the staff room notice board or someone's put up a their sheet or they get told weekly our product shows people in real time everything they're earning and with open banking everything they're spending so you get a picture of your financial health today and what it's going to look like in next week and the week after and that helps people make different decisions that visibility is really key secondly um, as expenses go up then people's propensity to they use their savings if they've got any or if they get hit with a financial shock they're going to be less able to take care of that and therefore being able to access their earnings which doesn't cost them anything is one way to help them navigate and get through that i think the reality is and what we've learned probably since our last talk is monthly pay just does not work for the majority of british workers it doesn't work it's it's not it's it's easy for a salaried high you know a high middle income salaried worker to be able to budget when you know exactly what you're getting every month it's not for a lower income shift worker who's got volatile pay isn't it's not made visible to them and you know we live in a world where in the uk where 55 percent of families haven't got savings so what you're trying to do here is stop people going into debt and the worst thing that anyone can do of course is take a payday loan when they start getting those cycles of debt which really 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 very stressful we mentioned the users it's kind of currently more than a million workers across 300 employers who have access to the app globally right i suppose there you've got a huge amount of data on the financial trends and the emerging trends as we go through this cost of living crisis i almost wonder if people are saying to you can we have a look at this data? Could it be useful? Can it kind of from a government policy point of view, you'd also almost imagine that you've got a great window into into the spending habits of people to try and understand yeah. how best to, to help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially with not not least all that shift data. So you're able to see shift patterns and, 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 and how someone's able to earn income that way, but also with open banking data, which obviously, you know, we can never expose. It's an individual thing. But on aggregate, you can see where the costs are going. And we've seen more people stream their income for the basics like groceries and travel to work than they did sort of pre-pandemic or during the pandemic. So, yeah, we have that data. We actually now release a six-monthly impact assessment where we show on aggregate all our data. A lot of government pick that up and we, we, we talk through, you know, with money and pension service, et cetera, and show them, like, this is what the the frontline workforce is experiencing. Um, and we also just did a, um, a financial well-being report, the state of Britain's financial well-being, just to understand, you know, what's going on out there. And I think what we have learned, and we're doing a follow-up one, because um, things are getting worse and worse for for many people at this point, right? It's getting, I mean, we've all, if you've got a car or filled it up lately, or if you've gone, you know, bought food, you, you everyone's noticing the increased costs and it's going to, it's going to be a real problem um, because it just gets worse and worse and more and more of your paycheck has gone on, you know, standard goods that cost a lot less 12 months ago. So what's, what's the plan for the business? I mean, obviously huge growth over the last few years, you're offering a lot of financial advice to your users. Is it a continued expansion of the service as it is, or are you looking at kind of, I suppose it's almost becoming a financial well-being hub in its own right, right? Yeah. Well, the great thing, so that the, the latest fundraise, um, is 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 provided by all our existing investors. So Boulderton, um, North Zone, QED. We've got a great set of investors on our board, but also now Smash Capital, which is a new fund out of the US. Um, great guys. Um, and and BlackRock, so the biggest 
asset management company on earth have put money into Wavestream and adhere to our sort of social charter in our articles with the remit that they want, you know, we want to expand into the US. We think, you know, similar issues exist for frontline workers across the US in hospitality, retail, healthcare. We think we can help them by allowing them to access financial products from an employer that are fair and cheap and paid for in the main by the employer so that they stop getting sort of screwed by by banks. That, that, that issue exists in, in both countries. So lots of US expansion. And also in the UK, like you were just saying, we've got a lot of data now on the workforce. We start to understand where they're being, you know, where, where else they're being harmed by insurance companies or credit companies and how can we help them um, try and reduce some of those costs. I think, you know, what we're trying to do as a business, what we're founded on is reducing the poverty premium for frontline workers, which is the more money that a lower income worker will spend on financial services. About 490 quid more a lower income has to spend just on financial services that a middle income, higher income worker will get for free, which is ridiculous. So the mm-hmm. more that the employer can take responsibility for some of that and, um, and you know, and help their staff, obviously the, the the better and less stressed their staff are which is something we're seeing more and more i mean the power of financial products are big right if you look after someone's financial health they really do have a bond with you and they really appreciate that conversely if you screw someone financially they hate you and want to kill you so you know pay is the biggest benefit um that a company gives their their employees they you know that in many cases the their company, their employer is is the most important financial institution in their lives, right? Because their company actually pays them money. Everyone else is trying to take from them. So how can we make those things more flexible, more real, and add to them around pay to make people's financial lives better? The last thing that I wanted to ask, and, and take your pick where you want to take where you want to go with this, but you've been successful in raising funds, you've been successful in, in user growth in new territories. If you were talking to other founders, entrepreneurs out there about the choices that you've made and what your advice would be obviously there's 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 great product market fit right now for you but what would your advice be to someone who's looking and trying to grow their business yeah i mean there's there's all sorts of advice i think razor focus is really really key i think us now focusing just on frontline workers we're not interested in really helping white collar workers we're interested in helping which is actually the majority of the uk working population 52 percent we're interested in helping that sector and if if you focus on them completely, start to understand their financial lives, then of course you start to build products and start to think about what you're going to be doing. You start to be material to them. You start to be important to them. So I think I think razor focus is absolutely key. Um, and of course, raising money is, is very contingent on having a good business that has good growth potential that people can see is going to be something that's going to make a big difference. So, But I think a lot of that comes down to having a razor focus on your mission and what you're trying to do. Um, and, you know, like in any startup, every day, you know, that is hard to maintain that type of focus because there's so many things you could be doing and so many other avenues you could go down. But I think if you look at the really successful companies that have gone on to be high growth and and raise good money from good VCs, it's because they've maintained that focus on what they were trying to do. And and obviously over time, you end up being great at that. And I think that's, a, that, that's the most important thing. Look, it's, it's been wonderful to welcome you back onto the podcast and to, and to find out how the last few years have been. I'm glad it's been so successful and fingers crossed you, that razor focus does continue to help so many people who, who are struggling and, and need some help. Thanks, David. Great to speak again. Right. I mean, let's let's start with this question. Um, Pete talks about the fact that um, monthly payment cycles don't really work anymore. Um, 
We stuck out a quick poll on Twitter, very quick poll on Twitter, just to see what what um, people thought. We've had a few votes. So far, 50-50. Is the pay cycle fit for purpose? Uh, is a monthly pay cycle rather fit for purpose in Britain today? Um, Amber, what, what do you think about this? Oh, do you know what? I'm also very, like, very on the fence about this because I don't know. I, I think it's way harder to budget, obviously, when you've got um, like a monthly income because so many people see a big figure and they're like, oh, brilliant, and I'll just spend it all at once. And then I'm not saying, obviously, you know, everyone has the luxury to do that, but obviously when you see that, you're like, oh, brilliant, I've got loads. And then obviously you need to factor in that that has to last you for, say, sort of like four, potentially sometimes five weeks. Um, I don't know because I think I, when I've, I've been, I've done both. I've had like um, getting paid on like a monthly basis. It's also had obviously getting paid on like a weekly basis as well. And I think weekly basis it is reassuring because you do get like a little top up. I know obviously overall it does also kind of come to the same amount of money, but you do like just get a little top up and it just kind of keeps you going to so say you are running a bit short. You need to go get some essentials or some groceries, whatever it may be. You know that you've not got too long to wait until you get mm. something else come into the bank account again. Whereas when it's on a monthly cycle, it's like, wow, this has got to last me for, as I said, maybe five weeks sometimes. So I think there's an element right here where we're going to kind of look at this and go, oh, well, you know, four weeks, you know, you know, you can budget, you can manage your X, X, Y, and Z. We are the wrong type of people to ask because, of course, both of us are homeowning white-collar workers. Mm. And, yeah, and I think the points that, that come through in this interview, some of the stats that are really quite shocking, that 55% of people in the UK don't have savings and that 52% of the working population aren't white collar. And there is this whole section of society that I think in the narrative, in the press, in you know, gets talked about, but perhaps talked down to a lot of the time or not really considered very fairly. And <clears throat> to be perfectly frank, people putting out articles and have the time to create things like podcasts are not walking in those shoes, are not looking at it from the point of view of no savings in the bank um, and, and, and bills getting more expensive and having to wait from month to month must be really hard. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a very, very good point, actually. Like you say, we're obviously in a, yeah, in like a, a situation where we're not obviously being paid on, like you said, a weekly basis. And yeah, I imagine it's incredibly difficult. I mean, I think this has come a, I know it's obviously been around for some time, but it comes at a really good time, obviously what with everything that's going on. And I'm sure the need for this is just becoming, yeah, I think so many more people will be needing this at the moment, just because obviously, like you said, the cost of living, um, yeah, just trying to make your money go as far as it possibly can when everything is just getting so much more expensive and it's becoming... Yeah much more difficult just to to live and, and get by really so i think so many people are going to be relying on this app more so than than ever the ever before really and, and definitely before the pandemic yeah i mean it's interesting i think pete said that um i think it's that it was the most important or the single biggest issue for hr leaders in the next decade is going to be how you can help your workforce and it, this, you know, this is fortuitous timing. I don't know if you saw this morning, Boris Johnson had his first interview on Good Morning Britain in six years. And the questions were wholly about the cost of living and examples mm. of people, you know, what 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 is the government doing for these people? What is the government doing for these people? And look, I'm not going to get into a political kind of debate 
here about the pros and cons of, of the governments. But the questions are are razor sharp right now. And there's 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 a lot of emotion behind questions like that being asked. And companies maybe I don't know. I don't know how much ability they have to to change their policy, to change their pay cycles. I don't know how difficult or hard that is, to be perfectly honest. I'd be really interested to know what policies HR leaders might be putting in place to try and help their staff with this with this cost of living crisis involved. But it's, it's, it is an example mm. where tech can step in with an offering um, at quite short notice and go, right, here's a need and this is how this is how technology can actually be applied to do some good and to help people out when they're when they're in a really difficult spot. Especially the stuff about like budgeting as well. Like I think when I had a quick sort of like scan over what it is they do and like their website and stuff, which actually just on a real separate note is the very easy to navigate. Like it's a great website. And if the app is anything like that, then I imagine it's really sort of easy to digest and get your head around. But um, yeah, just like the budgeting tips and stuff. I think, because if you think of like where your money can go, like, for example, if you went shopping, like as mm. a country, we like affordability. So a lot of people, like consumer trends have like changed, obviously, to a lot of people shopping in like Audi or Lidl or, you know, they can get a basket full of shopping for, say, sort of £10 that can last them a week for them and their family. Yeah. Uh, you know, in comparison to, say, I don't know, getting a meal due out in Tesco or something like that. So it's just like little habits sometimes that sort of lo- lets your money go further. And I'm not saying that, you know, making those tiny changes is going to completely sort of solve all the issues, but just having that, those little trends and those little sort of tips and stuff just to refer back to, I just, yeah, I think that side of it's so sort of unique and I'm sure that'll be really, really sort of handy and it'll just make things like you can become a bit more savvy really, can't you? Yeah. And this idea that there's kind of like an income or a wealth premium, I hadn't, that, that wasn't, I'll be honest. I was ignorant of the fact, you know. So I think Pete comes out with the with the statistic that it's four hundred and ninety pounds more that a lower income worker has to spend than a middle income worker on services that that person will get for free. So insurances, credit, etc. Um, and so there's obviously costs there when you don't earn as much that aren't visible to other parts of the population. So it's making it even harder. So, you know, being able to go to a shop and and fill up your basket with good food for X amount per week or X percentage cheaper than another supermarket does become incredibly important. And those hints and tips actually become a lifeline to people. Mm. Yeah, massively. Yeah, I think I'd say that side of it, I found, obviously I know there's loads on the app that you can access, but I think those little things are just things that you would otherwise not sort of think of or you'd kind of look over but actually if you took all of that into consideration I'm sure that the like the amount that you'll save will will very quickly start to add up yeah yeah absolutely I mean we we shouldn't live in an unfair world the idea that frontline workers get charged more for for financial services than oligarchs right now is the kind of message that's going to hit with hit people and sting them and yeah it kind of it sets the scene, and um, and really, you can you can see the need for for a service like Wavestream, and the fact that over the last three years they've really got that razor focus that Pete talks about towards the end of the interview is is only a good thing. Yeah, I think it's really interesting as well. Obviously, the fact that he's come back and you'd see them at like the start of their journey, and then obviously see them to now. And I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. This app is now more needed. Obviously, it's just kind of a sign of the times. But I mean, it's great that obviously they've been able to sort of react to 
the changes in like this, you know, the way that we live and like the social changes and stuff. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I say, it's great when obviously an app is doing really well and you've sort of watched them on that journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, the last thing that we wanted to do was a bit of a call to action. If you're an HR leader and you are listening or you're working, you know, maybe not even a leader, but you work in an HR department and you've got some ideas to help uh, others, why not share, be community minded? What, what policies, what, what processes are you putting in place uh, to try and help your workers? We'd be really keen to hear. Get in touch. Um, probably the best thing to do, find me on LinkedIn, uh, David Savage. Um, uh, that's the probably the easiest thing. Um, but yeah, Amber, thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining us for the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, I, I hope that Watford gets slightly more or less painful for you, rather. Oh, coming, Dave, coming don't. It's... Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's, it's not going in the right direction, is it, to be honest? So um, thank you, but I'm not too sure if we can really turn things around now, to be honest. Talk to you soon. See you later.